Okay, hi everybody and welcome to the call. I'm really excited to be talking with Dr. Claire Azaley, who's an ear, nose and throat or ENT specialist and she's also a proud mother and we thought we'd mention that because you might hear some children making noises in the background of our call and we wanted to really include that as a, you know, a part of our call today because Claire's a very active woman in society. So really great to have you here, Claire. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> awesome. So today we're going to get the ear, nose and throat specialist perspective. And Dr. Claire Azaley has done a lot of work in particular with many as clients and patients and also with people who have tumours around the um, vestibular or auditory regions. Is that right, Claire? That's right. Yeah. Um, do you want to let the listeners know a little bit how you got interested in working with our dizzy patients? How did that happen? So I changed from general surgery into ENT and I was lucky enough to get a special, uh, special position, which was a surgeon scientist position. And it meant that I could do a master's of surgery within my training. And I was totally blessed to be paired with a man called Bill Gibson, who yeah. is a ear surgeon in Sydney. He has a very strong interest dating back to the 70s in mm. many years disease and was actually the person who developed the electrocochleography test. Yeah. So I did my master's with him and I, I loved his compassionate approach to patients. Beautiful. I liked that he balanced surgery with medicine, with human being a human and, uh, and I just really connected with it and was the first person that I'd met in surgery that seemed to share uh, my approach to medicine and surgery. Great and, and do you want to elaborate on that a little bit so as, as a doctor practicing in clinic what is your approach? So I guess uh, I think with vertigo more than any other condition that I see in my practice I try to approach the patient as an individual yeah. I think that they're not a label they're not a diagnosis they're a person trying to function with symptoms and my job is to understand what their needs are both from a purely medical point of view but how that interacts with their other social uh, stresses and commitments and mm -hmm. try to make treatments that actually work for them absolutely that's a huge part of what I do with patients in their recovery process in terms of helping them get back to their dreams and goals and ability to thrive mm -hmm. within their life. Mm -hmm. So that's beautiful. Um, I thought it would be really nice because you would have seen literally thousands of patients, I imagine, over the years. Yes. Um, what are some of the common challenges you see in clinic and what are some of the common myths that, you know, you might want to debunk a little bit for our listeners today? I think the... The greatest challenge is honestly working out why the patient's having symptoms. So obviously that, that mm -hmm. a lot of people are given labels like Meniere's disease and they're really just a collection of symptoms that we recognise come from the inner ear. Yep. But the truth is what is causing those symptoms is very different between patients and I think mm -hmm. that's the hardest thing is even when they've got the label of mm -hmm. Meniere's disease, understanding what could have contributed to those symptoms is hard. So for some people, um, you know, it's genetic. There's yep. definitely clear inheritance patterns. For some people, it's an autoimmune condition, which means it's their own immune system attacking itself. For some people, it's quite clearly triggered by uh, diet or stress. And, and no one person has, a, has a, uh, the same pathway. 
And I think that's the greatest myth for me, the idea that many as diseases are single disease. I see it as a collection of diseases that all present in the same way. And also this kind of crossover with the vestibular migraine, that it's not a separate condition. They're Mm -hmm. on a continuum. Yeah. A lot of people share uh, features of both that we need to address. Yeah, and actually even I see quite a few BPPV clients who get treated for their positional vertigo, which is quite a benign condition you can read about online if you're not sure what it is, if you're listening. But then, you know, that dizziness can then, of course, be on a continuum that then can trigger migraine-type symptoms that they're then lingering and living with. So I think there's a many of our patients may have multiple diagnoses. Absolutely. And that's the other thing that you that, that if someone just applies a simple label, yep. the tendency is to then go down a single path of treatment. Um, certainly there's recognised sort of accelerated pathways of treatment in Ephemenia's disease that you try, start with a certain medications or lifestyle and then move on to surgical things. Whereas I don't see it that way. I see it as, you know, that, that we may have addressed their many as component, but there may be a migraine component that also needs to be addressed or there could be BPPV overlaying it. It's very yeah. common for sufferers because of the injury to the inner ear. Yeah. And that if I don't listen carefully every single time they come to what mm-hmm. are the current symptoms, what are the current feelings that they're getting, that I could be mistreating them for conditions that are actually currently under control. Yeah. And I'm just curious, with the clients you see in, you know, the thousands coming through with these dizzy symptoms, have you ever met a client who's totally cool, calm, collected and zen? No. (laughs) (laughs) You think that might be a bit of a myth? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, think, uh, you know, one of the greatest challenges, and I know you, you are doing wonderful work to address this, Joey, is the idea that many as disease specifically, but all vestibular problems, uh, balance problems, are just a physical problem. And that's not true at all in my experience. I find that there is an interplay between a person's physical symptoms and the psychological impacts that those physical symptoms cause. So for a lot of my patients, the greatest obstacle of is the fear of the bomb going off. Yeah. So they live their life in fear of what tomorrow might bring or what today yeah. might bring. And yeah. it resonates through every aspect of their life you know they don't feel safe doing things they don't look feel safe looking after young children they don't feel safe driving in a car even if their physical symptoms are very well controlled and unless we address all aspects of the disease so address that fear and address the true psychological impacts that that has I don't think someone ever gets back to life you know they don't get back to where they need to be yeah absolutely in fact a large part of what I'll do in clinic is helping patients to see when they're truly experiencing vertigo in the here and now and when it's a what if. So it's actually an anticipation or a fear of something Mm -hmm. that may or may not occur. Mm -hmm. And this is actually where some of the mindfulness skills come in really handy Mm -hmm. because we're helping ourselves to really connect back into the body. And do you want to talk a little bit with the listeners? We've touched on it on different interviews, actually. But you know how the vestibular system is talking with the body as mm-hmm. well as the brain and the eyes? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your pers- medical perspective on how the recovery process occurs when someone has, let's say, a permanent loss to their left ear from many years, for example, and they're dizzy and then they recover? What's happening with the body, the eyes, the brain and the ears? 
So basically the way I describe to my patients the way your ear balance works is it's like uh, sitting on a seesaw. Your mm -hmm. brain receives information from both ears all the time, on, 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 always receiving signals. We turn our head to the side and one mm -hmm. side will give more information, the other will give less, just like the seesaw going up. And then we turn our head to the other side. And so your brain is used to receiving a balanced set of signals from your ear and they combines that information with the same signals coming from your eyes and your muscles uh, mm -hmm. to tell your body where it's in space and it's only when all the signals coming to the brain agree that your mm -hmm. body feels comfortable as soon as one of those signals is giving in you know is out of whack with the others your body will feel very unwell and dizzy yeah so, when we have a total loss suddenly our body's hearing less from one ear and in comparison, the other ear appears to be hearing more. So our body interprets that as our head turning around. Mm -hmm. And in fact, our eyes tell us we're sitting still, our muscles tell us that we're sitting still. And that constant conflict, conflict exactly, is very confusing for your brain. But and actually, that's like, vertigo. That's, that's a exactly right. description of vertigo. So actually, your brain can relearn. Um, it can relearn to hear the new signals and understand mm -hmm. the new balance. And as you said, even with a complete loss on one ear, I've had patients return to riding a bike, you know, riding, riding horses, a car. You know, yep, all everything. those things can recover. But the truth is, one of the key things I always say to my patients, and I'm sure you do too, Jenny, Joey, excuse me, is that um, your brain can't relearn without information. Yep. So unless you're moving, unless you're giving it constant increasing challenges about balance, mm -hmm. it's never going to hear and understand the new signals. So even though it feels like you want to lie in bed, it's so overwhelming every time you move, you feel so unwell, that once things have become relatively stable, so you're not losing more and more or having acute attacks of many years where things are on and off, then the best thing for you is to move. Yeah, and and in, and also in conjunction with that, because you know, there's sort of we have to balance out our practice. Is also teaching the brain how to be still, mm -hmm. and how to be still and quiet, and not in this state of worry and catastrophe. Mm -hmm. And actually, I had a patient just this week from Brisbane, and um, she said, "I don't really want to stay still because then my mind gets really worried, and then I prefer to be distracted." And mm -hmm. so she was sort of doing hours and hours of vestibular exercises a right. day. And I said, you know, that actually might be a little bit much for your brain and we have to give it some recuperation time. Mm -hmm. So then we had to actually bring into her exercises practising stillness gracefully and with a lot of skills and tools to help with the emotional side of... Yeah, absolutely. As I said before, I just... I, I can't stress enough the idea that this is not a physical disease. It's a combination of physical and psychological disease and I totally agree with you, Joey, about that. But I just think trying to separate them out... And just say, I just if I just take this tablet, I'll be fine. Mm. Uh, I've never had a patient that that was a, t a total solution for, even with very you know mild Meniere's disease or mild you know uh, things. Yeah. Like that. Um, it's so overwhelming, and yeah. and it's it, it's isolating because other people can't see your disease. Yes, and and it can it, it's natural that you're trying to manage that, and it, but it can become a fixation. And it starts to define people if yeah. they're not careful. Yeah. So that, that's really what a lot of these interviews are about, is giving people perspectives, giving people realistic hope mm -hmm. that, you know, we can't regrow the nerves in your ear. Mm -hmm. But even if you're over the age of 80, I know in rehab we see many 
patients who are even up to the age of 90 still developing new balance pathways through their brain and their body. Yeah. So just to have a realistic sense of um, moving forwards and rehab. And I think it's really good for patients to know if you do nothing, you can really sort of expect symptoms to, st to stagnate. Yeah. That's this idea of putting information back into the, the seesaw. The, yeah. So, um, Claire, I'm just wondering, from your expert perspective, what would you've sort of mentioned this, but we'll maybe put it into a little summary. What are your hot tips for someone listening right now today? What are your hot tips, perhaps both medically and holistically, to get them to move in the direction they want? I think the first and foremost thing is to be an active member in the treating team. You're yes. not there to go and for the doctor to solve or for the, you know, the psychological, psychological psychologist <laughs> to solve anything for you. They're there to help you, but you've got to want to help yourself. Yeah. And in many years disease, like many other vestibular problems, because it's not one size fits all, what I help find extremely helpful is the patients being actively involved. And what I mean by that is keeping a diary, whether it be a physical write down in a book diary or even just a mental checklist. What, what are the things that give you a bad day? What are the things that give you a good day? Um, you know, how has the treatment changed the day to day? What, what impacts has it had? physically or psychologically what things do we still need to work on mm -hmm. also the second element to that is the idea that these are conditions that evolve over weeks and months not hours and days you know that if if you take one new medication or new treatment and it and you don't feel instantly better that doesn't mean it's going to fail you know mm -hmm. that that you need to invest in a period of weeks months or even years um yeah. both in your medical treatment but also physical treatments that you're having psychological treatments that you're having that that all the treatments should be aimed at giving you a happy healthy long-term treat future and not yeah. necessarily uh feeling better this hour one of the particular problems i struggle with are patients that have been given a lot of um vestibular suppressants yes patients that actually try to stop the signal getting to your brain which is not they, good for recovery yeah that's right so short term they make you feel better and and this is where i guess you know people feel like they don't want to stop taking them because today in this hour they feel better when they take yeah. that medication but my goal is to give them long-term life and that means giving them, allowing the brain to retrain, allowing the yeah. brain to hear the signal. If it can't hear the signal, can't hear the dizziness, basically. It can't repair. Repair, that's right. Beautiful. So just to summarise, there are many vestibular suppressant medications out there and mm -hmm. some of you might be taking them from your GP and they're often designed to be temporary and very much for when your head is spinning and everything's horrible. They're not necessarily designed for your long-term recovery. So if you think that might be you and you're listening to this call, I would probably recommend that you talk with your doctor about whether or not you're on a vestibular suppressant and, and talk about what other alternatives there are for you to help you with the whole recovery process. And unfortunately, sometimes that means having a worse day to get a better day in the future. Mm. And having a worse day now that might last you know, seven to 12 days or seven to 14 days, having a bad couple of weeks to get years of better. Yeah. So it's, it's a gamble uh, about what, what today's going to bring, but it, it pays off in the long term and it pays off for yeah. much longer yeah. than the bad days, I promise. Yeah, and to make sure you're supported in that process so you don't feel alone and isolated because there are plenty of people to help you get through the difficult feelings. Mm-hmm.
Great. And there's always the online resources too. So thank you so much for contributing, Claire. My absolute pleasure. I'm sure there's plenty of people all, all over the world just thinking, oh, thank God I'm learning more about <laughs> what's going on in my head because I don't feel right. You know, it's so, it's so disempowering to feel like you're losing control of your life. Mm. And I have so many of my patients with vertigo who feel like they've lost their sense of self and their yeah. control over their day-to-day. And uh, I'm just so glad that, you know, what you're giving, Joey, is a sense of hope to people and realistic hope. Uh, we, Joey and I were talking just before the interview that a lot of people feel so disheartened when a treatment doesn't work instantly. And I'm glad that there are always resources to remind people that it takes time, maintain the hope, I've never had a patient I couldn't get to the point where they have a confident, happy life. Me too. It took time. You know, it yeah. took time. Yeah. Fabulous. All right. Well, I think we might have to end it there. It's so yes. great to connect with you. And thank you so much for what you're offering, Dizzy People, and contributing to the profession on the whole. So I look forward to um, talking with you down the track and keeping yeah, it. Definitely. Thanks, yeah. Joey. Thanks for what you're doing too. Great. Keep up the good work. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye.